This is the 6th of October, 2012, Brussels. The talk is supposed to be the role of service for discipleship in the 21st century. And uh, as I mentioned, this talk is, uh, the subject is actually quite vast and it's got to do with service and discipleship. And of course, we're looking from, from a Bailey perspective. Now, service work is the only way to gain enlightenment. It's in Buddhism called the Bodhisattva Path. Uh, the Bodhisattva has vowed never to cease striving until all sentient beings have been released from suffering. And so the Bodhisattva will not take his final release into nirvana until everyone he's come to help gets there. And then only after he's like a good mother, after the children have got their, their, their jobs and all that, then she can sigh and have a, be, be thank, happy and, and, and then go into her proper job or whatever it is. So the, the Bodhisattva vow is the, the, the enlightenment path and we call it service. And the service work is, there's, there's two paths on this, on this planet of you. One, one is the black path, the path of the dark brotherhood which is hatred, selfishness, self-centeredness, pride, all of these qualities that many people have. They do everything for themselves. And then this leads into extreme separativeness and cruelty and, and destructiveness of this planet. So they build themselves mega mansions uh, with all the money they've gained and stolen from the masses of people and uh, they live in that. Uh, whereas uh, the disciple is always giving, always giving. And that's the, as I said, the only way to enlightenment. It's the way to liberation. So the other thing to do with service is that once you are serving and you're actually working to help people, it humbles you. The pride goes because you're so busy trying to help people and you've got to figure out how to help them and normally there's a, a million obstructions, a million problems that, that are, a myriad problems that, that come that prevent you from serving or that they come up with all sorts of things. You don't have resources, you don't have you know, what they need and uh, they have also all these sorts of problems. And it depends on, on, on um, the type of service work you give. You know, for instance, as you know, you can be a doctor you know, in the health profession, you can be a teacher, you can be a psychologist, you can be a philanthropist. Yeah. And so there's many, many different fields of service. You can be a scientist, sort of trying to help humanity, you're making the groundbreaking discoveries, you can be an inventor. So the, it's not necessarily just the service work that many think of, which is the charity work that people confused service with it is anything that helps humanity whatever produces the betterment of the humankind we think in terms of the seven rays the the, the ray of will or power which um, you can serve by being a judge or a politician uh, I hope our politicians served us better but they don't but, <laughs> but you, you can you understand that there's so you can be a, a, a fifth ray of science that's again the scientist or the technocrat uh, you can produce these beautiful gadgets that everyone likes all these types of things that we're all living in now that's brought us out of the stone age you know thank the lord for, for the people that invented the car you know it produced the fumes and we, we we have to sort of suffer the fumes and the noise 
and but at the same time it gets us very quickly from point A to point B. I think sometimes the horse and buggy days were better. <laughs> it's quieter and nicer. And okay, it's okay, but it took you three days and get to hear the Paris or whatever it is. It's, uh, but you all understand, you know, everyone now is glued to their, their cellular phone. You see it on their buses and on the trains, you know, that's the reason why I don't want mine. I, you know, it stays in my room. Uh, but, and the television set, you know, it, it's full of misinformation. People use it for entertainment. But it would be such a beautiful educational tool if there's actually something on it that actually educated people taught them how to be better people on this planet. And, and uh, But instead it makes them selfish, feeds them all sorts of advertisements of things to buy and to consume, to consume, consume, and of course then to sit there with the gadget in their hand to, to blob out because they've had such a hard time at work and they just want to sit there and do nothing for four hours. But these forms of service work that, for instance, the scientists and the technocrats have given to us are abused by humanity, but also we, we also benefit from it. The, the basic service work that they give is they save us a lot of time. The things that we can do now, uh, we can do things faster, more efficient, etc., because of all of these gadgets around and the electricity. You don't ever have to worry about going to sleep at, at 7 o'clock at night because it's dark and the candlelight is not very good for reading books and things like that. And if you've ever lived in the third world, as I have many, many times, you know, I've lived in houses that don't have electricity, uh, you know, way out in the middle of nowhere, and, and, and you know, their, their, their form of heating is, is cow dung. And, uh, you know, so they, they make the, the patties out of the, the dung of cows, and then that's, that's their main... Mm-hmm. The women sort of collect it all and then they sort of pat it up and then, then they um, use it for heating and everything. It's uh, cooking. So you can see that this form, the service is quite uh, multi-dexed. And of course then you think of religious service, for instance. Um, the, the Buddhists think that their service work is to is teach the Dharma, the, the Buddha Dharma, and that, that the Buddha Dharma is to teach people how not to be attached to samsara. Uh, samsara is this material world and so um, be attached to this and it's going to cause pain and suffering. The first two of the Buddha's Four Noble Truths and the way to um, be released from suffering is to eliminate your attachments and then the way to eliminate the attachments it is a Noble Eightfold Path. Uh, right thought, right speech, right conduct, right livelihood, right action, right contemplation, right meditation... These types of um, so it's all right. It's actually right or correct. They actually sometimes they translate as perfect uh, because the whole path of service as you work towards enlightenment is to produce perfection, utter perfection, complete and utter perfection is what you are working towards. And this is what discipleship in the new age is all about. So this religious form of service, most of you know, the synagogues, the churches, the temples, the, the places of worship, the stupas, uh, and if you go to India, you know, if you see a stupa, you, you go around it three times before you pass it, if you're a proper devotional Buddhist. Um, you know, in Dharamsala, where we used to live, if, if I wanted to go to the library there, it would be, especially dressed as a Buddhist monk as I was, uh, to go straight in would be absolute... Uh, you have to go around first and then you go in. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole building 
you know, and um, and that's um, because you're you're giving the devotion to to the prajna paramita, the, the the wisdom, the mother of all wisdom is stored in in that library. It's 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 all the sacred texts. You can't just walk in. This is sacrilege. And you can understand us Westerners, we don't think like that. Uh, we just walk in. Uh, whereas the Tibetans have to walk around, perambulate, and, uh, and, and the old ones will be of their prayer wheels as well. Um, it's it's too sacred to. So, um, and in old Tibet, they used to never burn books. Uh, you know, the, the Tibetan writings they were always kept uh, because you can't burn the sacred text. It was the Buddha Dharma. <laughs> Um, okay, so this is just a, a little bit in terms of their, their form of service, devotion, religious devotion, and all of you understand that. And the the second right form is the spiritual teachings, and most of you understand the spiritual teachings, um, whichever form it is, whether it's the form I give or the Bali form or you know, the, the Dharma. Uh, and so the high philosophy is the second right way. And then the seventh right way is ceremony or magic. And it generates grounds energy onto the physical plane. And they, uh, well, the, the ceremonial magicians, for instance, uh, in the West, the Kabbalah, etc., is governed by the seventh ray. The masonry is governed by the seventh ray. And those those that build the churches, uh, that build all these buildings around here, they technically um, working with the seventh ray energy, the sculptors, the, the craftsmen that, that make with things with their hands. This is technically a seventh ray form of service. So you can see that there's many different arenas of service. And, um, for instance, Jacob Bohem, which some of you may have heard of, um, he was a great German mystic. Um, now, he was a shoemaker. He spent most of his time just fixing up shoes. And so then he was inspired, he got these revelations. But all the time the service of, of making people's shoes was his livelihood. It, it was dangerous in those days anyway to, to, to write things that were against the Catholic Church or against the, uh, you know, so it was the Inquisition. He was actually brought up once or twice, and, but it was close enough to, for him not to uh, be imprisoned. So you can understand that the service work is the, the keynote of the disciple. The service work is that which makes holy. When you're giving, in whichever form you're giving, whether it's an artistry, and of course you can see these artists, they also give their service work. They need, you need to live, you make your livelihood, but at the same time you're giving something of great benefit to humanity in the whole life. So whenever you get somebody who's a great artist or a great artisan or, or a philosopher or, or, or somebody in the medical profession, then whatever it is that helps humanity, there you have a disciple. There you have somebody that in a former life has spent time meditating in a monastery, learning the wisdom, uh, developing the principle of love. They've incarnated um, to... Uh, manifest their practice in this form that is beneficial according to their fundamental ray lineage. The other thing that most don't understand with service is that, for instance, the, the philanthropist who gives money, you know, they're, they're multi-millionaire and they give thousands of dollars here and thousands of dollars there and they still keep multi-millions of dollars for themselves and their palace, their mansion, their, their chateau that they live in and everyone thinks that they're so great because they're giving a small fraction of their, their welfare, uh, but it's a big lot of money for us. 
but this is not really service work. You know, this is just uh, playing a, a role, a, a charade. You know, the proper service work is if the person sold his chateau and, and, and built something with it that is of real use to humanity. Right? But that's all, or by the way, what I'm getting to here is that the nature of the service work that you do is it's dependent again on your spiritual age of how enlightened you were in a past life and what is pouring through you. The more advanced you are on the path to enlightenment and as a disciple, the more esoteric is your service work. For instance, in the case of the Jacoboim, now in the case of him, as I said, he was a shoemaker, but in his former life, which I've traced somewhat, uh, which I won't go into now, you'll find that he you know, is an enlightened being. And so the enlightenment comes through and he has to do this ritual of labour. What many people don't understand is that labour is also a form of service. The people that labour with their hands, um, you know, with our brother here who was a gardener, um, he's working with plants all the time, and this is also service. It's serving nature, it's serving the people around, it's beautifying their homes. But the, the labour itself, the nine-to-five job itself, builds strength. So some lives you become, well, a labourer. You spend all your life just doing the same sort of ritual, day in and day out, earning money to feed a family. But this later translates in, for instance, in Tibet, where the ritual of labour is the seventh ray energy that allows the yogi to spend day in and day out meditating because the, the rhythm of that work of a former life is the, the power that pushes them onwards to gain enlightenment. So this also, sometimes uh, great beings can incarnate and to do a lowly service work, uh, a lowly sort of labouring thing, because they are gaining a certain quality that is very useful in the future life when they are going to sit for enlightenment and do yoga. And then they have to sit and do the meditations, the breathing exercises, and it's again a ritual, it's a cyclic thing. So you can see that what people normally think of as service is, is actually a little bit larger and more expansive than the way people think. The other thing is I was going to, to say with regards to the more advanced the disciple is, the more the service work can affect larger groups of people. So they generally will become scientists or... Uh, well, we're not just talking about normal science. You're talking about somebody like an Einstein where suddenly they, they're discovering something that, that's going to just change or revolutionise a whole mass of public opinion. In Einstein's case, he produced the, the, the theory of relativity. He changed physics. He changed the way people thought about time and space. Um, you know, energy equals mass times the speed of light square. And before that was Newtonian physics. Uh, and so then you have to, and have to think in terms of quantum mechanics and things like that. So this, this here is a very high initiate. And you'll find at Einstein, he was a yogi and gained a very high enlightenment. And my philosophy is a fourth degree initiate. Um, but as a scientist. 
So, uh, but you can see that that type of service work where larger number of people are involved, and these people are quite rare. They're generally sort of written about in in the history books. They're the ones that, that produce great innovations, and in politics and whatever, you you can see that when they come, they are force. Uh, that that just produces change and whatever it is, and sometimes it's good or sometimes it can be very bad because there's the white brotherhood version and the dark brotherhood version. This also forces. Now I'll give you an example. For instance, Hitler, which everyone knows, um, he was also a change. He produced rapid, massive change on this planet. Um, it was not necessarily for good, but he was also did his form of service. These types of greater beings are sometimes are called in in the Buddhism in, in Hinduism specifically avatar, a descent from God. And often you think of them as as uh, somebody like Sai Baba or Mare Baba. So they they're given the, these these names. But the the in reality the the avatars are, are some of the great saints, and uh, they manifest as say Leonardo da Vinci. He is a great avatar. Yeah, and Michelangelo, and if you've ever studied, uh, what is it, Michelangelo? Uh, if you ever studied his life, you, you can see he just lived for sculpture. All he did was, was uh, you know, <laughs> and the Sistine Chapel that took him seven years and looking up and having paint on his face, it was a massive amount of um, work. So this is an avatar. This is a great enlightened being that's incarnated to produce the greatest, you know, some of the greatest artworks humanity's ever seen and his poetry and everything. And he didn't care about money, nothing. You know, sex wasn't important for him. It was his sculpture. That was all he really came to do was his art. Um, and likewise with, um, you know, Raphael was a slightly different. He was he lived in a more sensual life. Um, but uh, again, they they driven to produce a particular service work which benefits all of humanity. You know, look at Van Gogh. You know, our lovely, oh, it's Flemish, yes, uh, Dutch. Uh, how do you say it? Uh, Van Gogh. <laughs> uh, and now look at him. You know, you know, driven to, to be uh, painting, 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 painting. He earned nothing all his life. Lived poorly, you know, he... You know, nobody can understand the way this this person lived. You know, and uh, just supported by his brother, his only form of income, his brother. Uh, he was an art dealer in, in in London, and 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 when he finally made some money, he killed himself with the money. It was the end of his life. And so, what happens as a consequence of all these paintings? The Japanese will will spend forty million dollars, or somebody here with one of these billionaires, to buy one painting. More than all of you know, even a one one thousandth of that is more than all of what he earned in his entire life, right? Uh, so this is a, a great um, bodhisattva, yes, um, to to give something of beauty and, and joy. And so you can see um, what I'm trying to get to this this the service work. Most spiritual people think one dimensionally; they think only religious, and instead it's not. It's an Every department of life, we have the great ones incarnating to serve humanity, and they produce these the wonderful effects of their their life. This second ray, um, religious dispensation, is specifically a second ray. It's this deep blue. I have a question. Hmm? Does it mean that 
when an artist or scientist expressed totally what he came for, is the total expression of a ray of his and yes, yes. incarnating his ray? It's incarnating his ray, that's right, that's right. And often it's a subray as well. So you, you can see, for instance, um, I'll just give you an incarnation. Uh, this is for, for, um, for all of you, Raphael. Uh, he was fourth ray, and matter of fact, he's the fourth ray Kohan. So it's uh, so you get the, the highest being of the fourth ray producing this most exquisite, beautiful, harmonious art, mm-hmm. right? And at all these beings of Renaissance, that was an incarnation, a mass incarnation of hierarchy. They incarnated all the masters of the wisdom, and it was not just um, the artists. There was poets. There was also the politicians. Um, you know, the Domici family. They may have had a lot of wealth, and they were they were um, proud and all the rest. But without the politicians, without the Domici, you would not get the artists. They needed the patrons. They needed the people to. And likewise, the popes. Now, the popes at that time, they were exceedingly corrupt. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had concubines. They, uh, the, you know, Rome was was had more prostitutes in it than any other city in Europe at the time. Uh, they found cemeteries for for aborted um, fetuses because of the the clergy was there, and there was lots of money, and they all wanted their their bit on the side, right? And the Pope was fully like this. The Pope was came from the rich families. It wasn't you didn't um, become a Pope because you're poor. It was, uh, <laughs> you, you became a Pope because of patronage, right? Um, in those days, uh, there was a thing called the, the Reformation, and it was the Counter Reformation when they fixed themselves up a bit. That's the Roman Catholic Church, and you get Francis the lawyer, Saint Vincent of Paul, and things like that. So. They fixed up their, their themselves because they had to because Martin Luther did his ninety five pieces on the church of, on the door of Wittenberg, bang bang bang, and he sort of um, started the Reformation and sort of you know it was all about what's called indulgences. I won't go too much into the the history of of the Catholic Church and the Reformation and all the rest of it. What I'm trying to point out in those days that one of the reasons why. The Renaissance, you, know, you, you understand the Renaissance about the 1475 to about 1575, that, that hundred year period. The reason why the Renaissance was, was able to be expressed during that time was because, one of the main reasons was because of this um, the indulgence uh, uh, you know, of, of, the, 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 um, of the papacy. Of the popes and the cardinals, they were absolutely um, living in, in in the sensuality of, of the time. So, so, but because they had all the wealth of Europe given to them, and you can see them fat and all the rest of it, and as I said, they, they, they had all the wealth of Europe given to them, they wanted luxury. They were not interested in the, the Bible and, and being uh, like St. Francis, you know, they're not going to be a St. Francis. They wanted their luxury. So they built the St. Peter's and they commissioned the artists. All the great artists came to, to, to Rome to be commissioned. Donatello, you know, so they all came because the money was there and the popes wanted this luxurious palace and all the most beautiful things around them. And so they gave to them, even though it was so corrupt, uh, they gave to the world the most beautiful artwork. Right? So you can go to St. Peter's and you can look up at at, uh, Michelangelo's work and Raphael and all of the others. Right? 
because it was not just the Pope, it was the Cardinals and, and, and in Florence it was the same thing. It was nearly always religious or it was you know, a, a great um, family like the Domici, but the Domici had two Popes <laughs> out of, out of, out of their, their family. So you can understand the, what I'm sort of saying. Later on, if you had a, uh, a papacy ruled by St. Francis, right, you would never have gotten the Renaissance or somebody like that. So you can see that it works in, in this sort of way. And also because they did not hang on to their Roman Catholic sort of uh, dogma, it allowed the humanists, uh, the, the translation of, of the Greeks, the Plato, all the these great um, Greek and Roman texts were translated. And you get Petrarch and, and some of the, and so they they, they 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 went to all the monasteries and they went to to the the Middle East looking for manuscripts to to translate. And if you had a very dogmatic religion at the time, then that would not have been. It would have been burnt. <laughs> Right, and you you get, for instance, um, the Savonarola in, in Florence that burnt all the artworks he could find when he ruled the, the country because of a religious fanaticism. You can see what I'm trying to say with regards to service work. It can be service work even inadvertently in this sort of way. But where we're going to now from from this role of service is that what service work does. It, it wakens the heart centre. It's an expression of your compassion, of your love. There's two types of chakras, or well, three types of chakras that awaken on a whole with regards to service work. One is the throat centre for, for the creative form of service work. The other is the solar plexus centre for the um, type of service work that is emotional. For instance, music. You know, sort of, you get the, the great some of the great musicians really affecting people through their solar plexus. It's, it's the the, create, the uh, ideation, the imagination, and all the rest, um, or art and things like that. And then you get that type of service work that stimulates people's love and high aspiration. And this generally is therefore philosophy and religion and and science. Um, going back to this concept of avatars, the avatars incarnate as, for instance, was Raphael or Michelangelo, or certainly, of course, you can see Leonardo da Vinci, everyone's still going and, um, at the Louvre and sort of standing back behind a crowd to see this little thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they paid all this money to, to, to adore this uh, you know, Mona Lisa. And uh, you know, it's become a cultural icon now. Now, it, you know, I'm sure when, when Leonardo painted that, it was not his best picture. For me. <laughs> <laughs> it's <possibly true. laughs> right. Anyway, there you have in that in this particular case, of course, a great enlightened being incarnate. You know, a very, very, very great being. As a matter of fact, um, in, in Buddhism, who was his name in Buddhism? Well, just to give you an inclination, just an idea, and, and this is for our Buddhist friend here, um, he was a being called Tsongkhapa, <laughs> and the reformer of, of the entire religion and start of the Gluckset. And so you get this being who is a, a, one of the great the great yogis of, of Tibet and the great reformers in the, you know, the Dalai Lama st- you know, stems from Tsongkhapa you know, even the Dalai Lama's is not Tsongkhapa Tsongkhapa is above all the Dalai Lama's you know, that they came from one of his students so anyway what I'm trying to get to and then you, then you have a life like this and then bang you go into the west and you become a, a great <laughs> artist you know, everything um, 
So as disciples, what we are looking at is that we're looking at, with the solar plexus, we're not interested in emotions. Emotions is deadly. Emotions causes sickness, disease, and uh, attraction to the material world, attachments to all sorts of things that there's pain and suffering, pain and suffering, pain and suffering. You get it. And, of course, happiness, joy. (laughs) So you go from joy, happiness, great bliss, and then pain and suffering, and all the circle goes round and round. We call this the wheel of samsara. You know, it's it's the, the, the wheel of birth and death. Um, and you're born into these six realms in Buddhism because of the solar plexus center. It turns you round and round and round you go. Happiness <laughs> and, and hell, you know, all of you have experienced it because of the solar plexus, right? And uh, attached to the mind because we all have creative imagination. But the three aspects of the solar plexus that the disciples are interested in is aspiration. Why aspiration? It's that the energy that drives you to aspire to link with God, with divinity, with chunyata and for Buddhists. Uh, so it pushes your drive to become religious, right? Um, to learn things, to serve <laughs> aspiration, um, to aspire for high achievement. You know, so you understand this is a solar plexus activity. So it's, we don't kill the solar plexus, we transform it. You know, in this path, we do not stifle one thing. You know, you can imagine all those poor celibate monks there. And remember, we went back uh, back to the, the the papacy, all those poor celibate monks stifling their sexual drive. Well, it didn't work. They they produced inquisition, you know, which attacked women. And once they had women in their, 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 their clutches, then they could undress them and do whatever they wanted to them because they had all the power. And, of course, we, I just told you about Rome, which had more prostitutes than anyone else because of the same uh, suppressed sexual drive. So you don't suppress anything in this path. We ride everything to perfection, to, to enlightenment. So it all has to be transformed. Our lower desires has to be transformed into higher spiritual perceptions. Aspiration, and now everyone knows this energy of aspiration. You aspire to achieve great things. And an artist, a young young boy or girl, um, when they're young, they have all sorts of aspirations. And some of them work out, some of them and, and many of the aspirations later on, they say, "Ooh, what happened to that? <laughs> uh, you know, this is not what I wanted." <laughs> Right, but uh, but anyway, when you're young, you have this, these sorts of aspirations, and your parents will try to feed them in, in a way that will produce you know, parents with all their, their greater wisdom and knowledge of trying to push you to become aspiring to become a somebody creative, and in this world, obviously, make lots of money, <laughs> whatever it is, make lots of money. Um, that's the normal parent, but for us. You know, that are spiritual, we say, oh no, develop love, develop wisdom, develop compassion. Um, The money is not so important, yes. We'll try to teach you, give you the best for that, but this is not um, what life's about. The the three things of the soul plexus, anyway, is devotion, um, aspiration, and the creative imagination. And so these are the things we, we keep. Now, the, the aspiration, we've talked about high devotion, of course, is linked to aspiration. And, and devotion is, is one of the paths to enlightenment, but it produces what, we, what I call the fourth initiation, the mystical path. Right? So the, the, the devotees are lovers of God, lovers of the image of, you know, sort of, of, of Mary or, or in Buddhism, Tara, 
or about despair. They, they, you know, they, they have an image of the beloved, and so that's up there painted in the sky, and then they come and worship. You know, it's like the the Christians over there, great spires going up. Um, so the so the image of of God, and of course, the, when Muhammad came into and he was another great enlightened being when he came and started the Muslim religion he tried to destroy the concept of this image building tendency mm-hmm. yeah and therefore they were not allowed to build uh, make pictures of representations of Muhammad or later on they fortunately they changed that and they produced some very wonderful pictures but instead they made the geometry the sacred geometry the divine geometry the dome and all the beautiful geometrical Islamic art uh, because of the, they were not allowed to um, try to picture God in in man's image, <laughs> right? So you can see that there's every religion has their different form of service work to contribute to humanity. So high aspiration, devotion, devotion is the mystical path. You can devote yourself. But later on, you have to develop your mind and become an occultist, mm-hmm. an esotericist. Devotion is not good enough. But um, the devotional path produces very high ecstatic visions. You know, St. Teresa of Avalon and all of these, these, these especially the mystical saints, um, when they write about their, their, their wonderful... And matter of fact, they, they, um, those of you that were nuns in a former life, you're brides of Jesus. And um, so you mainly prayed or prayed all the time for union with with the the Christ, um, and this is high devotion. And so, if you are actually uh, you know cloistered and, and serious, you actually produce the image came of of this type of ecstasy. And so there's some the, the best of the mystics have written the the intensity. You know, your your love of Sufism is the same as the intensity of their union with their their God. You know, the beloved. Um, and it's often like Rumi sort of um, uh, equating it to sexual love, carnal love and, and spiritual love, fusing the two. And Amar Khayyam is another great mystic. As a matter of fact, if any of you read the, the Rubiat of Amar Khayyam, it's only a small book. But if you actually get his full volume, it, it's like that, that thick of his poetry. And he was also a, a state astronomer, a scientist, Everything it was the, the complete thing. Anyway, uh, that's just a, another one. That was just just a tiny little piece of of his service work that ended up in the West. So the the high aspiration, um, the creative imagination. Now all of you understand this. It produces all this artwork around. Um, but we that are esotericists, we use the creative imagination. For instance, when you're doing your meditation, you've got to create an image of that which you're aspiring to achieve in consciousness. For instance, with the Buddhist form of meditation, they have the tankas or the mandala, and they have to build this. If you ever read a, a book on Buddhist meditation, it's a very incredible uh, exercise of building all these little pictures of this Buddha is in, in this corner and he has eight arms and each this arm has this and this arm has that and that arm has that and it's surrounded by the uh, halo and then this uh, diva you know, and so forth goes on like this and you build this um, this is uh, called deity yoga it's one of the um, 
the the forms of yoga in Buddhism. So this this you know this creative imagination is used in this way to actually veil the real. But in reality, what you are building with your creative imagination is the the image of the real, for instance, um, I've told my, our sister here, get all those pictures of, of the, the masters you have and burn them. They're not going to get you to the masters. The masters will not work through those pictures because people, the, the great, um, the Bailey people in this particular case and the, um, the theosophists, they, they've made this image of whatever they think the masters look like on the astral plane and it's a, a, a deadly poison of um, astral plane phenomena that um, the Dark Brotherhood used but not white hierarchy. They, they can't use those things. Um, they're not going to in, uh, use a devotional student anyway. They work, first of all, with those that are working to help humanity and secondly, those that are training their minds. They've got to do the both. <laughs> so the creative imagination in our particular case, for instance, you would be imagining, for instance, the ocean with the deep indigo blue ocean that, that's, um, or Shambhala or the, the light. And as a matter of fact, we, we give you images, for instance, of the divas. You've seen the pictures of the divas in, in our books. And you know, these are some pictures here, just a little bit. There's, there's a diva there. And so that, that is based on the reality on the inner realms. Um, so the, so you, first of all, you can build the image of the real. And then the entity, because you've built a pathway to the entity, the entity can then come. It helps to allow the entity to come to you because you have in your mind already established something that the being, the entity or the spiritual being can work with. Now, in the Bailey books, the use of the creative imagination is called bridge building and uh, the, the term is antakarana. You build an antakarana, a, a, a rainbow bridge or link between your concrete mind and the soul or the hierarchy, depending on where you're doing. So you actually have to build the, the bridge, the link between your concrete mind and what you regard as the, the, the great luminary of what you are or what you're aspiring to receive the hierarchy. Um, in, in reality, there, there's a, a gap in consciousness between the concrete mind or the analytical, empirical mind that's based on the senses and the abstract mind, which is um, the, the mind of enlightenment. In the, the Buddhism, the abstract mind, we, we, we use the term clear light of mind. And also there's a term, it's, it's called alaya vijnana, which is the storehouse of consciousness, the storehouse of mind. So you've, you've got to build the bridge. Um, and this is the reason why there's so many uh, concrete, uh, very strong thinkers, but they don't have an ounce of love in them or a skerrick of spirituality. They don't think spiritually. They don't have any good scientists or whatever um, because they think only in terms of this material world and what the material world can provide because their world of senses and the intellect that governs the senses is all there is. But we who are esotericists and, and religionists, we know there's much more to life than just that. 
that is deadly and that's the path of a black magician again it, that concretion produces more and more and more immersion in, in the concept of self of ego, of pride and things like that so you've got to um, lift out of that into abstract thinking into concepts of God concepts of um, shunyata in Buddhism shunyata is the void um, it's void of whatever mind is None of you can probably at this stage imagine what is not mind, but that is the goal of where we are evolving to. What is, what is it that is mind is the way you think. What is it that is not mind is the spaces between thoughts. <laughs> the amount of chanting is only useful if you fully understand what it is that you're chanting. In other words, you've got to build the image. No, if you don't build an image, then it's through the sound. The sand will not get you there. The sand will concrete. Um, for instance, uh, the, 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 the word om, O-M, mm-hmm. is the sound of liberation of consciousness. It, it expands consciousness. The A-U-M is the sound of concretion. It crystallizes energy. Mm-hmm. So you have to, and if you don't know how to visualize, you're not going to get there. Right. The, the image must be created. And this image that is created is the, the potency of the mantra. See, if you just make the mantra with the solar plexus, which most people do, the emotions, coupled with their throat, they, they can make themselves sick. Uh-huh. And, and sicknesses here, and, and the, the thyroids, parathyroids, and uh, stomach problems and things like that. Because the energy is an emotional energy. It's the mantra to liberate must be, first of all, the best way is what we call the silent voice. It's done in consciousness without the use of the throat yeah. and, and then um, it becomes a winged um, thought and then it can attract to it its purpose, mm-hmm. uh, but with the vision. I've seen it too often, you know, people chanting you know, Sanskrit or Tibetan names and sometimes I have the, you know, the quick translation underneath. It can produce sickness, disease, death even, what it does, the, the term that I use is the word glamour. Um, people are emotionally involved. So, look, if people want to feel good and feel high, and you know, you know, if you understand the word high, yeah. then they can chant the mantra. And because of the emotions, the emotional stimulation, it makes them feel more loving. And if they're chanting the mantra with a group, then the group is stimulated as a group stimulation. But in terms of producing anything more than that, it's not going to do it. In truth, when we talk about, uh, there's many dangers in in the the creative word, in mantra and sound. Mm -hmm. The true mantra comes from within, without, not from without, within. Mm -hmm. It has to come from the soul or from even a higher source. So the mantra is is um, first heard within mm-hmm. and then comes about like our dear sister here in her meditation yesterday uh, group meditation she heard this beautiful sound in her ear right now that sound is the mantra she didn't have to speak it but if she now um, unites with in a proper way with, with chakras and that sound then it can produce a liberation of consciousness mm-hmm. so it's an internal sound Blavatsky calls it the voice of silence. Okay, so it's the silent voice within the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be in, within the mind. And then later on, when you, when you actually become more awakened, you'll be able to creatively manifest the, man, 
dala through sound, um, but that sound and visualization. That's the reason why they have the tankas in oh, Buddhism. Oh, the yantra. The yantra, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so they, they have the, the yantra, they have the tanka. They, what we call also in, in Sanskrit is called daharini. Uh, daharini. The daharini is a aid to meditation. Mm-hmm. And the aid to meditation is mantra and uh, yantra. Yeah. Uh, so it's the visualization technique plus the sound together, yeah. uh, but it has to be given to you by an enlightened being. Mm-hmm. So there's a specific um, the enlightened being, and these Buddhists around here, not one of them, mm-hmm. is enlightened. There, yeah. there isn't one on this planet that I've met yet, and I've been looking all my life. I mean, believe me, all my life for one that could teach me anything in Buddhism, because they're the great ones having connected in the West and Western bodies. Anyway, this is another subject altogether. I write about it in my books. Uh, <laughs> you've, you've read it. <laughs> it's it's like it's like, for instance, with with the mantra sound. You know, or singing like you know, the nice Tibetan bowl here. You can go boing. Oh, I've got beautiful bells. You know, and um, you can have that, or you can have choir music, and you can see that all of this type of sound is stimulates the solar plexus. Right? It makes people feel good. Uh, it gives them an escape from life, but it's not, they've finished, <laughs> they're back into their misery or whatever, <laughs> or their, whatever their life is, they go back into that um, because it's finished. It's a group experience that awakens the heart, and this is the service work again. Okay, we're just talking about the void. It's a difficult concept because it's the whole key to the understanding of Buddhist religion, Buddhist philosophy. And I, I just gave one small definition of it, which is the space between thoughts. When there's no thought, and it's not a state of being no mind, the mind is held steady in the light. I then related it to the meditation we give, which is the journey to the sun, which is this vast ocean that's absolutely quiet and it's blue. But if you ever actually experience the void, the shunyata, you'll find that that blue and that it's absolutely clear emptiness of mind, but it's an intensity of energy. It's, it's like the energy you can imagine being in the center of an atomic bomb. Uh, it's that energy plus the quietude. And this is the reason why all these Buddhists over the two and a half thousand years, only a few achieved the void because it's a high point of attainment. Jesus achieved the void, the, the true void, when he died on the cross. And he said, no, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That At that point, nothing that, was of, that, that he ever recognized, all his spiritual life, disappeared into a nothingness space, an emptiness, which is what the way the Buddhists describe the voice. God was not there, the humanity was not there, or his everything that he knew spiritually that was important to him was not there. It was just an empty space that was vast in every which way you look. And that's the fourth initiation, and that's the shunyata experience, of the true shunyata experience. And you're crucified on the cross 
which is the, in the four directions, um, upwards to the kingdom of God, downwards into the material world, um, inwards to the heart of life, and outwards into the field of service. And you can move in none of those directions. You just simply are there in the centre. And nowhere can you move. Those above you, the, the kingdom of God, you're not yet ready to get there. Why has they forsaken me? Down below you are the, the few that are that, that recognising, looking up at you, but you can't go to them because you're on the cross. Mm. The field of service is gone. All the things you're doing to help people no longer is there. You're just in your own exquisite form of agony, looking in compassion to everything. And then he said, forgive them father, for they know not what they do. This is Christianity, right? And it's all, all the same thing. He's explaining the, the compassion of one who is at this um, void experience. He sees it is absolute exquisite love. You, you know, the, the love that draws and keeps um, all, all of the universe into one motion, one universe, one humanity, one cosmos. It's all that ties all that together. You experience that in the void. Um, so it's um, it's not. It is crystalline like a diamond. Somehow. Once you've got that, and you've got the mind of the void, which is this energy, it's called the chintamani in Sanskrit, which means the diamond mind. Mm-hmm. And the diamond is absolutely faceted, and there's not one drop of dust or dirt in there. And as soon as light hits it, it reflects it into mm. all of the colours, and it's hard. It's indestructible. Uh, and that's the state of mind of being in the void. Mm. <laughs> you can see it's not that easy to to visualize or to to understand, but that is what humanity is working towards. And at that point, the soul, the um, in my books I call it the Sambhogakaya Flower, and I explain it's also the Tathagatagaba of Buddhism. The Tathagatagaba, the Tathagata means the Buddha. And Gaba means the womb, or the womb of the Buddha. And I say, the Buddhism says that all human beings, all life, has a Tathagata Gaba, has this Buddha womb. And in my book, in this big one, the um, I concept, I point out that that is the soul. Of that's, a, that's in Alice Bailey's books. And I explain how and why from Buddhist philosophy, because Buddhism says there is no soul. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I say... No, your teachings say there's a soul, mm-hmm. and this is how, and this takes me about a thousand pages to explain it, that's of writing. So this um, Tathagatagaba, uh, I call it Sambhogakaya. The Sambhogakaya uh, means in Buddhism there's three vestures of a Buddha, three bodies of a Buddha. The Namanakaya is the appearance, this form. Mm-hmm. The Sambhogakaya is the the way he appears on the inner realms in the higher levels of the mind, in the abstract domain of the mind, and the way that they picture the Buddha is what you see in the tankas, right? That's the Sambhogakaya form. And then there's the true Buddha form, the way he actually is, and that's called the Dharmakaya. And the Dharmakaya is cosmic mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's the three, the three bodies of a Buddha. Um, Anyway, the soul is this middle, middle aspect. It exists on the higher abstract level of the mind. I'm going to go now back to service because all of this relates to service. And i just give you one, one other little thing. At the heart of every chakra, every chakra is shunyata. The void is at the heart of every chakra. 
it's that power. Uh, I won't go into a lot of things to do with um, yoga and meditation because this is getting into a, a different subject. But the role of service, therefore, the purpose of service is to awaken the heart centre. And the heart is not the solar plexus. The solar plexus relates to feeling good and nice and having a good time with friends. Right, and it's mantra, for instance, we said, or listening to music, whatever. The, 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 the heart, it is where the void emanates from. It's the, it, its whole purpose is to lead you to the void. Now, the heart center is awakened only through group interrelations, group interactions. So when you're serving as an individual, um, in a sense, you're serving to give out to those around you that are your field of service. And they are externalization of what your heart is. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's the way your heart gets stimulated because you're giving unselfishly, uh, spontaneously, all of the rest of it. Um, so when you respond to this call of service, it is because your heart is awakening. And I'm talking about true service and not this philanthropic giving because you're a millionaire and you have to show that you're being compassionate. Um, but the true service where it comes from your heart and you just feel this need to give, to help others, whatever it is. And I started off and pointing out that it can be through science, you know, politics, whatever. Um, so you give. And this is the heart center awakening and this is discipleship. All disciples... Um, are working at the awakening of their heart. And then as your discipleship advances, you find that you must find your brothers and sisters, right? your group brothers and sisters. Now, this brings to the surface what the... the the uh, I use the phrase science of, of the awakening of the heart centre. Now... Your group brothers and sisters are those that generally uh, have the similar soul ray as you, second ray or first ray or fifth ray. Uh, They're part of the same ashram, but it's not always the case. There's all sorts of affiliated ashrams, like um, an ashram could be the 5-7 and the um, 4-6 or the 2-3. DK's ashram, for instance, was 2-3, which means second ray, of love wisdom, the fundamental ray, and then the third ray of, of, of activity, which I call the mathematical exactitude because the word activity is yeah, ambiguous. So that's what he uses, but I use in my book mathematical exactitude, which is the way that the third ray of activity actually manifests. In, you see it in all of nature. All of this is the third ray. And if you look at the leaf and everything, everything is perfectly ordered according to geometry and and, um, it's got its place. You know, these flowers, I I never ever cease being absolutely blown out by the beauty of flowers, of the divine geometry of, and this is the, the third ray, the way it manifests all of this. So... What I'm trying to get to with, with this, for instance, and then therefore there, there is a, a relationship between the third ray of his ray with, say, the entire third ray ashram. So it's all got to do with numerical affinities. What I'm trying to get to anyway with the group brothers and sisters, this is just a little diversion and it goes into hierarchy, but um, the group brothers and sisters are those that you've been travelling with 
for many, many lives, life after life, yes? They're the ones you've been serving with. They're ones that you may have been in the monastery with and say, let's go as, as nuns or monks or in Tibet or in India um, where you, know, you get a great being like Milo Rapa incarnate or Jesus. And uh, then what did Jesus do? He found immediately his 12. And as soon as they saw him, they were not going to... They knew that he was their master, the, the, the one. It's like when Andrew first saw Jesus, you know, and he, he was the first chosen. He rushed straight home to Peter, his brother, and he said, I have found the one. <laughs> right? And it's an instant recognition. You know that that is the teacher and that is your sister or brother from whatever the life is. It, it, it's, you've been travelling with them for life after life and they are part of an externalising heart centre. It can be any of the chakras, incidentally. Um, but when you're working in, in this, this way that we work with, it's, it's, a, it's the heart centre. And what you have is interrelated karma. You've been um, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, daughters, <laughs> and so forth, life after life. And it's your true family. The people that, and the children that are born to you and, and the family that you're born to, they're very rarely your true family. They're incidental. Your true spiritual family are those that have been travelling with you because they are evolving this same path as you of love and service and aspired, inspired by the same things. You want to know. You want to give, and you give according to a similar patterning of giving. For instance, if you're a scientist, you'd have a lab, and around you would be fellow scientists and students, and they all be learning from the professor, or, you know, the high doctor, and they're all doing the same service work. They all have this karma from past lives. And in this particular case, we have the karma. We have our interrelated karma, from past lives, and there's a call, there's a mantric sound that brings us together. We, no matter where we are on this planet, at the appropriate time, when it is ready, our brothers and sisters will be found. Because the karma must be experienced. Now, all of you know what the karma is? Let's just use a, a gross example. If, if I was somebody's husband or wife or daughter in a, in a past life, and we did all of this, this activity then we have karma with each other and it must be paid back. Now, you have to think of Jesus, for instance, I said with the twelve, they all recognised him. And then after the twelve was the interested five hundred. And then there was the five thousand he fed on the mountain with breads and, uh, bread and fishes. You all understand the um, symbolism there. So from him to twelve to five hundred, five thousand or five thousand for interest. And those five thousand were very quick to, to say when he was on the steps there with Pontius Pilate and he said, who shall I release? Barabbas, who was a murderer, a known murderer and a, you know, full of insurrection against the, the Roman, or Jesus. And the crowd said, Barabbas, uh, the 5,000 were very quick to... But those that knew him, of course, they were part of him. They were, of course, heartbroken. You know, poor Peter, and you remember Peter, if you've read the Bible, he was there, and, and he was told by Jesus, you know, you, you would renounce me three times before the cock crowed, and then 
and yeah, this is the rock of his church, and then the cock crowed in the morning, and Jesus, and then Peter then realised, yes, I, um, I said no, I did not know him three times, um, and then you can imagine how much agony there was inside of him. Even Judas Iscariot hanged himself um, because he was still part of that group. He did what he was asked to do, which was betray Jesus, and Jesus had to be betrayed. Otherwise, he could not take the shunyata experience. <laughs> the karma, Jesus' karma was to die on the cross. He could not avoid it. And he's a different than, than between us. Now, if you know that you get onto this car and you're going to end up with an accident a mile down the road and, and you know half of your body's going to be off, mangled or whatever and you're going to be in hospital for three months or whatever it is, will you go into the car willingly? <laughs> but Jesus did this is a high initiate because he knows that that is the karma he must pay off you don't understand this compassion of a fourth degree initiate fulfilling the bodhisattva vow to that extent that they know that they must pay off that karma and this is discipleship when they do that, do they also um, pay the karma of a group, like a group humanity, a group? No, or it is their own their karma. Own karma. Yeah. And their own karma is used in such a way that it is educating the masses. Mm-hmm. So his karma was used to create what we call Christianity. But it was karma that was chosen for him because he had to live outwardly the fourth initiation, what all the people doing the fourth initiation must live inwardly. Right? Now, each initiation, on the path of discipleship, your service work is tied in with your karma. Let's understand this. You cannot gain full liberation, become a Buddha, as, you know, this, this concept of Tathagatagaba, the, the Buddha womb means that every being on this planet should eventually become a Buddha. No matter how evil they are, eventually they'll become a Buddha because the womb of the Buddha is within them. Right? Uh, it's just a matter of time and um, how they are saved from their sins, to use a Christian term. Now, on the path of discipleship, hierarchy, and now we're talking about when you've been accepted by a master of wisdom, I'm not talking being accepted by one of these yogis or one of these Tibetan gurus. I'm talking about a master wisdom, one who is enlightened. Then such a being looks at your karma, right? And then your karma is woven according to what you have to clean up. You must actually fix up your past mistakes. You cannot progress on the path with a lot of baggage behind you <laughs> that, that, that's keeping you back. Right? So the karma is reserved for initiation, for initiation testings. And so you're tested on the path of initiation. And so the karma is thrown in front of you and it produces points of crises. And those of you that have passed initiation, you have to actually overcome points of crises where you're tested in the utmost, with the karma you have, and you have to actually master a quality that in the past life you stumbled over. <laughs> mm-hmm. You created. 
This time you have to say, no, I will not do this. I will do this instead. And you pass your test. Now, for the first initiation, it's sex, money, material comforts. These three things, you've got to pass the testings to do with these animals. By the time you're older, well, many, many of these things, well, not so much for this world, material comforts is terrible hydra. You know, people don't understand it. But the first initiation means that you must learn to use the comforts you have rightly and not abuse it. This is one reason why um, today um, I've had a little battle with our dear sister here. She's turning on lights, I'm turning them off uh, because um, my material comforts hydra sort of karma says, no, I cannot waste too much electricity. And our dear sister is thinking, oh, I want a nice ambient sort of um, environment and, and energy for, for the group. So we, we have this, this double um, clashing. And so we've got a compromise, <laughs> which I sort of created. So you agree. Well, 50-50. So what I'm sort of saying, that the, this discipleship, so you understand, in discipleship you're learning to become a master of wisdom. We, um, that are teaching you, are trying to train you to become masters of wisdom. We are aware of how long it will take you to become a master of wisdom if you do all the right steps. And we will do our best to give you the teaching and the training to eventually make your master wisdom. In between becoming where you are now in a master wisdom, you must do the crucifixion experience of Jesus. No, that's another type of cross. It's internal cross. But believe me, you experience the same internal pain that he did of the suffering of humanity. The experience of what humanity is doing um, to themselves and causing themselves suffering is the experience, what's called in, in the Bible, the fellowship of the Christ's sufferings. And this you experience. And as a matter of fact, you are bodhisattvas. You're experiencing it as disciples all the way along. It's what causes your discipleship, your service. You're trying to help the suffering of those around you. And not just human beings, animals. You become vegetarian because you don't want to cause suffering to animals. Plants. You don't like to see the way that um, plants are misused and, you know... You know, see so many chemicals. Yeah, and all the rest of it. And you start the work of the divas and so forth. It, it produces internal vision, um, internal awakening, because this is what your compassion does. And as I said before, the path of enlightenment is always a humbling experience. You cannot become a master of wisdom or initiate with pride. <laughs> Whenever you see somebody posturing with their pride, that's a dark brotherhood path. <laughs> Even me, who knows so much, and my, my knowledge is just vast, yeah, I'm humbled, massively humbled all the time. I feel like wrapping myself in blue and just carrying a little corner um, because of what I know. It's just such a tiny little bit <laughs> of what I know, what is yet where I'm going to. You know, I know what I am on the inner realms. And it's only such a tiny little fraction of my mind is incarnating me now. But compared to what I have, um, for you, it's such a vast ocean of knowledge. Um, you know, you can read the books, you can, you know, you know. And that is what humbles you. It's this, and it's the two things. It's the knowledge of what you've yet got to do <laughs> to gain liberation and the compassion of 
uh, of your service work, of how difficult it is to help people understand themselves and get them out of their, their spheres of suffering. Every which way you try, you try this, you try that, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Oh, wow, look, somebody's actually come <laughs> and, 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 and responded to, to what I have to say. Wow, beautiful. And so you lavish all your love and, 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 and joy and, and whatever you can give. And with your best of your knowledge, you, you uplift them to where you are. And this fellowship of the Christ suffering, you know, so you all understand this. This is the way of the disciple. Um, you're always internally crying. And in the end, this is what brings you together as a group. You, the group is your brothers and sisters that are sharing the same fellowship, the same internal pain, and are channeling the same energies from the masters of wisdom that are working through you and bringing us together. What I was getting to before is that, therefore, the, the path of discipleship is to become more and more and more in tune with the consciousness of the Christ, the compassion of the Christ. And you working harder and harder to not cease striving, to use the Buddhist um, Bodhisattva vow, um, to gain all the knowledge you can, all of the ability you can, whatever it is, that the, the, the mastery of this and this and this and this qualities, whatever is possible for you, so that you can help, so that you can light on the altar of, of crucifixion for humanity, for those that you've come to serve. I write books. Now, you know, I don't write books for myself. <laughs> I mean, okay, I gain things from the books. I'm gaining knowledge. And I have to make sure that everything I write is perfect, correct. And the philosophy is, nothing is wrong with it. The, the information must be as perfect as it possibly can. You learn words. Um, you know, our dear sister here, she loves poetry. And she wants to write beautiful French poetry because I can't understand the poetry, but you can. Uh, and she should send you some of her poems uh, and, and the way she writes. Um, but what I'm sort of saying is because you become, well, I use the English term, wordsmith. You, you know, I have to learn the English language. and you know, So you're always working, always striving. And this is the other thing with a disciple, with an initiate. They don't have time to rest. Whatever you do, it has to have a purpose behind it. Right? This is the initiate. This is the, the serving disciple. Time is very valuable. And as you go through the higher initiations, you're more and more motivated to serve, to give. Um, but at the same time, you're producing this serenity, this shunyata experience. And so most of your time, your mind is just this quiet, Ocean, it's quiet. You, 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 this is the reason why you'd like your Scotland. It's quiet. You, you don't want this noise. <laughs> so you understand internally, you're developing a quietude, a peace, a serenity. You understand this meaning serenity, serene, um, and that's. And but you understand this world, it's noisy. Everywhere you go, they, they want to they want to talk and chatter and and consume your time with. I use the phrase "frivolous pursuit of mind." Um, it's probably taken from Bailey somewhere. Um, you understand this word "frivolous"? 
uh, people, for instance, they're frivolous means they do silly things. Go to the beach today and, and just have a good time or, or spend all day. Um, and some lady will say, oh, maybe I'll get a tan, you know. <laughs> you know. You know, this is frivolous pursuit of mine, you know, just to... And, uh, so it's nice and relaxing <laughs> in the sun. So oh, yeah, of course it is. Yes, yes. No, no. Sometimes you need this rest. You need this rest. I have a rest. We go into the nature, we go for walks. Sort of, you know, when I see her, uh, she wants to go straight into a park. Uh, she doesn't want to stay in front of a computer. She's, uh, you know, she's going to hug a tree. <laughs> Um, no, there is time, this, this internal quietude is what you're looking for. And so you'll sit, and you'll just be quiet, you may read, I don't need to read all the time, I don't want to read, I just want to be quiet and be meditative. Mm-hmm. But this is, again, internally producing the energies you need in order to survive a disciple. You're not going to go on a phone and chat to somebody because you want to talk about what you did that day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's such a useless thing to do. Yes, um, but you can see people all the time saying, oh, now I'm doing this. I don't know what they do with their time, but um, the disciples are motivated. Motivated to improve their lives. Even at your age, you know, most of them, apart from you, I'll forgive you all. But even at our age, we're not content with just simply, okay, now I can retire. You know, our, our brother is retired. Uh, he's saying, no, this, this retirement is not, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit there and spend my time sort of clicking the TV and, and, and drinking the beer or the wine here in, in this country. And, you know, my country is beer. But you understand, you know, you can retire, you're not going to do that because now's the time for my mind. I'm going to use my mind and do something with it properly. Yes? What I was talking about is this baggage train of karma in relationship to uh, discipleship and initiation. You understand all of you have all different types of karma. You, you know, you've, you've You've got families, brothers, sisters, whatever, children, some of you, and you've gone to work. You, you have all different types of karma. The karma is everywhere. And what the path is, you, you, to, to understand this, this, this path of initiation, the path of initiation is that your karma is what prevents you from becoming an enlightened being. Right? The more karma you have, the more it ties you into materialism, into materialistic thinking. So all the time your karma is dragging you back, you want to move on, and you've got this baggage train of, of activity of the past life that you just have to clean up mm-hmm. before you can move on. And so every life is is selected by... If we're talking about initiates, right? Every life is selected by the, the soul or the hierarchy, the master, so that the, that life is to clean up another lot of useless karma. Useless karma is with people and forms of activity that do not relate to enlightenment, that are not with your spiritual brothers and sisters. Your spiritual brothers and sisters are going to travel with you from life to life and eventually you'll build a UFO and you'll travel out into cosmic space. They'll be with you forever and ever. Eventually you'll be stars. Um, but the rest, 
they holding you back from all of that. You have to fix up the karma, um, just as Jesus had to do on the cross. Um, hopefully, none of you have got that type of karma, right? Thank you. The karma is what what prevents you, and it's not just the karma of materialism, the karma of material activity. It's the what we call samskaras. Samskaras are the qualities, your emotions and mental qualities and mental emotions you developed in past lives. Now, I talked about the samskara of this man of pride, right? And it carries into the next life. The pride was still there. He could not get rid of it. So it made him an alcoholic in the end. So you've got the material karma, and there's all types of materialistic karma, karma with people that are not going to travel with you, and then samskaras, qualities such as pride, um, you know, strong emotions, selfishness, uh, whatever, all these types of qualities that are carried through from past lives. Now, it's hard for, for those, especially for the second initiation, the first initiation is generally okayish, um, as a matter of fact, it doesn't need somebody like me to train people for the first. Most of those um, teachers out there are good for the first initiation. It's the second initiation they do not know anything about. What a lot of initiates, uh, the problem is that they are disciples and they are initiates. And they, in an earlier life, they were generally religious now, if any of you actually know anything about history, just the smallest smidgen of history, have you ever heard of all the religious wars? <laughs> uh, and in Tibet also, you know, at the time of the fifth Dalai Lama, they wanted to eliminate all of the Nyingma. Um, you know, Tibet is full of religious wars. Now, now remember, religion, religious wars, inquisition, <laughs> discipleship... <laughs> Formal lives being brought to the present. So, you know, if you are Catholic a few hundred years ago and uh, there was a Protestant over there, you're basically at war with that person. You know, if you're a Jesuit priest, you you know, and you're caught in a Protestant area, you would be tortured to death if you're caught. There was no Christianity. Uh, they had no love of the Christ for, for each other. They had this dogmatism of their sectism. And it's all the way through. You know, one of the um, crusaders went to, to the Holy Land to, to wrest the, uh, Jerusalem away from the what they call the infidel. The, so this is war after war. And the, the religionists were the most cruel to their fellow religionists. They were not nice people. You know, tortured, um, burnt at the stake, um, you know, as one phrase, uh, one person said, you know, God will sort out his own. <laughs> you, know, you know, just torture them, you know, they, they'll die, God will sort out his good and his bad is not for me to know. Um, so this is the nature of a religionist. Now, the, the second initiation is when you're trying to work at the perfection of your emotions, the emotional mind. And so you think of it, the intensity of the emotions, intensity of, of devotion. Remember we're talking about devotion, aspiration and creative imagination. Now, how does the creative imagination work? Well, there's a hell. It's full of fire and brimstone. And everyone that doesn't believe my form of religion is going to go there. And I'm going to help 
God bring them there because they're not worthy of uh, creative imagination. Creating this hell. Um, for thousands of years, the Christians have created this hell, fire, brimstone, um, and only the elect will be saved and everyone else will be burning to death. What about um, devotion? <laughs> what do they devote themselves to? Well, there's the, the, the Catholic Church. It's got its... Uh, um, uh, the Aeneas and Cling, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the Pontius Pilate, uh, died, and was resurrected on the third day, He rose again from the dead. And you know this one. <laughs> no, this is the Nicene Creed, and this is the whole Roman Catholic faith sort of given out in uh, the Council of Nicaea about 325 AD, the First Ecumenical Council. What I'm trying to get to is that the devotion is to the dogma. The Pope tells you what to believe and what not to believe. And if the Pope says white is black, you believe him. <laughs> right? This is the, this is the Jesuits also. Mm-hmm. You know? So you understand they were, they were the army of, of the Pope. They only answered to their, their Jesuit um, and so do us. Anyway, so, but it was not just the Roman Catholics, it was the Lutherans and then the you know, Calvinists. and <laughs> You go on and on and on like this, yes? This is devotion, yes? And so this devotion and then what about aspiration? And then they fight the wars, um, these religious wars and these were religionists, they were disciples that are in charge of all of this, doing all of this to other disciples, yes? and to fellow humanity. And then they were often very dogmatic with their religion. You know, my religion is this, mm-hmm. and your religion is evil. Mm-hmm. So could we say in one word that the belief systems established by a lot of different religions represent the karma humanity has on its shoulders? It represents the karma the Christ's disciples have on their shoulders the humanity of the poor instant victims. The disciples have the karma. They're the ones that created it. They're the ones that caused the Inquisition. They're the ones that burnt the people at the States. The rest were just the brainwashed. The, the, you know, again, you can see them around here. You know, whatever's on television, they'll follow that. You know, they don't think much. They just follow. Um, and they're easily manipulated by people in power. And in those days, the power was the Roman Catholic Church or whatever. So that's the karma. And you understand that fanaticism, religious fanaticism, comes in a different way when you're reincarnated. You may be, you may not be religious at all. You may be atheistic or a scientist and fighting against religion or using your science and um, and so you produce this anti-religion. And, mm. uh, this is the same fanaticism. As a matter of fact, most of our scientists have produced this scientific materialism out of reaction to being religion. Mm. It's the same energy. So, what happens at the second initiation, do you think, when you have to pay back, um, your, your karma is reserved for you to pay back? That fanaticism that dogmatism in the new life that you've got in such a way that you have to overcome those tendencies and clean it.
Mm. Right? So that's what you're tested in. So that's what you're tested in. And this is the second initiation. And the, the, this particular experience. Now, the, these teachers, if they are proper teacher, have to be able to lead their students through that experience wisely and rightfully. If they can't do that, they're not enlightened. They haven't got the ability to teach. <laughs> Except the dogma, that's their religion and playing a role, you know, like the Pope did, you know, blessing. And it, it's more than that because also we have the history of magic. And in this world, this modern world, we've forgotten the history of magic. But believe me, there's black magicians, sorcerers, as well as there's white magicians. You here are disciples, you're members of hierarchy of light, you're trying to serve humanity. Now, for everyone like you, there must be thousands that are selfish and um, serving themselves and developing hate and separativeness and cruelty and all these other things. And then there's a whole organised hierarchy of dark brotherhood as there's an organised hierarchy of white brotherhood. Now when we go back into people's lives, disciples' lives, we finally get their time of magic. Now it's either abuse of yoga in India or Tibet or abuse of uh, ritual magic in, say, um, Atlantis, where God sank the whole continent because of ritual magic, and or in Egypt, or in any other, all the way through to the, um, you know, a few hundred years ago when poisoning people was very common, uh, and all. So you get get the big picture of what the master has to look at when they're looking at your karma, this baggage train, mm -hmm. and they have to try to get you to fix it up. And the initiate does this willingly because they want to fix themselves up. Mm -hmm. And they don't mind the karma. Now, I'll give you another example of, you know, another example is, for instance, everyone likes money, you know. Uh, give me a mountain of money and we're all happy. <laughs> Here's a hundred thousand for you. You'll all go home with a big smile on your face and you say to your dad, to, to your Tom, look what I've got. <laughs> uh, you know. I will do without you. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. But what I'm sort of saying is you understand this. But material comforts, Hydra, applied on the second initiation level. So you, you've got the first initiation level of material comforts hide and you got the second initiation level and the third initiation mm -hmm. level. Um, so at the second initiation level, you can lose all your money or you can lose your job, you know, anything that was really important to you. And you say, thank you that I have finished this karma. It's over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So it's all sorts of things so like everything this. Everything is is finishing, for example, relationship mm. between people. That's right. There's a time for everything to, to finish. And the initiate uh, works with their, the right cycles of the time. They work knowingly. This is the time for finishing. This is the time for starting something else. Mm -hmm. And the initiate has to do it properly because they don't want to create any more karma. Mm -hmm. So we're always checking with the masters. Um, if somebody asked me, you know, what shall I do? For instance, I was asked on the, the computer a couple of days ago, some serious um, question about this. I won't go too much into it. Um, I have to make sure when I give advice that I do not give advice that creates for me karma. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, because 
if I tell you to do something and, and you follow it because you trust in me, then I am responsible for what you do with it. Yeah, my son teacher always said, "No, I I can see what's what each of you could do or should, but I'm not going to say because it. it's bad for my yeah." For my but karma. N- well, it's not just that you 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 can see the karma, but you give the advice yeah. when you know it is correct, yeah. the right advice, and so you're only thinking of one thing: what helps the student, yeah. what or the group. And remember, at the second initiation, the other thing is that the group love. You start off with just knowing each other at the beginning of the first, the path of aspiration. By the second initiation, you are lovers to each other. You're there to help your group brothers and sisters. That's your number one task, right? And you 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 love them because they love you, and they are all you're all working together at the same task. And the same task is to help humanity, whatever it is. Uh, so the, the, when the problems come to the surface, they have to talk, you know, keep nothing inside. And so with the second initiation, your dirty linen, as we call it sometimes, all of your, all of your underwear, so to speak, and it's shown to the whole group, brothers and sisters, whatever, because your group, brothers and sisters are your helpers. They love you. They no longer will look at you, anything that you've done or whatever, in a bad way. They're only looking at how to help. Then this is the this is what in Buddhism is called the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. Right? The three jewels, the precious jewels. Right? So the Buddha is for instance, I represent the Buddha to you, and of course we've got the inner masses so together with the Buddha. The Dharma is the teachings, mm-hmm. and the Sangha is the, the community, mm-hmm. right? So you, you are the Buddha to each other. You help each other, um, and so what happens in group um, evolution and in group initi- initiation and um, and in our particular world now, it's not individual initi- initiation. The individual goes through initiation, but they go through the initiation as part of the group going through initiation together. Mm-hmm. So you understand. It's because you have interrelated karma that you have to f- fix up as well. The group may have been, in, say, in Germany at the time of uh, Martin Luther and... Uh, and uh, a religious community then busy plotting war with uh, with Catholics. Mm-hmm. So there's that group service karma that has to be cleansed. Mm-hmm. And you cleanse that plotting of the war with Catholics and plotting the opposite war with those that are reincarnated out there of that sort of Catholic of how to help them. <laughs> so you understand? So what was what you did in a negative way is now you have this inner compassion potion to use your teachings rightly. So with the in our meditation <coughs> sequence, for instance, we don't ha- we hold meditations and people do not keep their meditations inwardly. They talk and serve what they received. Some people don't, some people do. So the the group brothers and sisters is the, the key <coughs> to the group service. You're all working at the same service. You're all working at the same task. It's produced perfection for each, for yourselves and for everyone else. And you're all developing a very high level of love. 
it's something like being in a ship together and you've been in the ship together for years. So the, the love comes out and the love is only to help. It's not to harm or hurt. You don't have these qualities within you. That's been gone in your first initiation. You understand? So the, the group initiation is the, is the path of discipleship. Right, and also the, the master can only grow as the group grows. Mm-hmm. You know, I can only take initiation uh, uh, when my students take theirs. And this is the Bodhisattva path. And only when they take theirs can I take mine. Mm-hmm. So you, so the teachings, are, so we work down. I help you, and you help each other, and then you help others to come to where you are. And you're all working together. And then it spreads out into all of humanity, and the writings and all the group service work. Now my group in Australia is very established. They've passed their group second initiation. They're working mm-hmm. for their group third. Um, and so I'm working to try to integrate you with them. Um, so it doesn't really matter too much where we are. So this path of initiation is, is a beautiful path, and you become more and more sacrificial. Now the phrase is, sacrifice sanctifies. So you understand now that the whole key to the path is sacrifice. It's not what um, you do for yourself that matters. It's what you do for your group brothers and sisters, what you do for the planet. This is the path that Jesus trod. His every action was sacrifice. What are you? Is this this body? (laughs) Is it the blood? Is it the bones? You know what's going to happen, I don't know how many years, you know, you've got a few more years than me and Daniel, and, uh, but eventually there's going to be, you know, in a fire or worms or something like that, and there's a few bones left over. Um, the proper way anyway for all of you is when you do die, it's, it's to be burnt, it's, it's um, termination, right? Um, but, so you understand, you're not this. Are you those emotions that are moving through you? Uh, what about the mind? Are you your minds? Hopefully not. <laughs> no. See, um, in my books, I talk about the mind as a consciousness stream. It's a stream of consciousness. And believe me, when I talk about baggage train, I'm really talking about the baggage train of the mind that's been created over all these lives mm-hmm. and where it's going to. Um, later on, when you actually get proper vision, you'll see it's actually in the form of a serpent. And the serpent grows into a dragon when you finally become a master of wisdom. And that's the reason why we have the phrase dragon of wisdom. But you, going back, if any of you have done any yoga, this thing called Kundalini, it's a serpent power. So the serpent, the little, the little nadis, the little serpents, grow eventually into a dragon. This is the mystery of the dragon for you later on. The dragon's got many beautiful things to say. But there's a, the dragon kingdom that, that later on, those of you, when you take your initiations, you, you sacrifice yourself, then this whole world of divinity opens up for you because everyone has sacrificed this <laughs> and this mind and these emotions because this is all illusional for what you truly are. You must get rid of these attachments to what you think is you so that the divinity that you really are can incarnate and work through you. And so you die to all these little attachments, <laughs> attachments of, to form, attachments to money, attachments to concepts, attachments to emotions. And the whole initiation path is this process of sacrificing these things on the altar of God. 
until eventually you're bowed in front of um, the Lord of the world and he blesses you with his rod of power and the fires come through and you're enlightened. So the, this, this whole process is, is sacrificial. And if you're not sacrificial, um, you're not a disciple. <laughs> um, and depending on how much you're capable of sacrificing yourself, that's the recognition of the degree of discipleship that you are at. Um, and you can see if you're like Jesus, even to go to the cross willingly, <laughs> uh, that's that's some sacrifice, right? Um, but there's, you know, most of you, and my, myself included, we, we have our little crucifixions all the way along. So you understand that this, that this crucifixion process is what you're going through from the second initiation onwards. And the second initiation is this difficult part of discipleship because some of the horrors of where you are really bad as a dark brotherhood or as a disciple in the formal life just have to be, come to the surface and you have to clean it. And you could lose house money, but it's more got to do with emotions and you're often at this stage now being attacked psychically because the dark brotherhood mm-hmm. become real. You, you're awakened psychically, you begin to see things and um, she knows that there's, um, since she's met me, she's discovered that there's more to life than just beautiful, wonderful divas and, and, <laughs> and sweet things. Uh, she, she knows now that there's things that will attack her because they don't like her. She's actually becoming a bit dangerous for their lives, their world. So you actually, your service work um, in the higher initiation from the second element, shifts also from this material world into the inner realms. You've got to cleanse the astral plane. You've got to cleanse the concepts of heaven and hell and whatever you created and the entities, the beings that you worked with when you're a magic, when you're doing magic, when you're doing yoga, when you got seduced by what the movie says, the dark side. You remember the movie? Did you ever watch Star Wars movies? The dark side, seduced by the dark side, and they're very they're worth actually watching the the movie because there's so many spiritual teachings in, in that mm-hmm. set of movies. Um, they have lightsabers. Mm-hmm. We, we we have swords, so we do the same thing. We send light and they battle. Okay, so the dark side. So when you're just seduced by the dark side in past lives and early on in this life as well, because you've done some not so nice things when you're younger, and maybe even now I don't know, but they have to be cleansed out of you. And so you're bringing in light and you're working with light, you're generating love and you're converting all of these these qualities. Mm-hmm. And then the beings that embody these attack you and then you have to convert them as well. Sicknesses, diseases, they can create, they, they can um, cause accidents if need be. You're also protected by us and by your soul. And so you, you have what we make sure is unless you're stupid, only your karma will manifest. But at a certain time, the veil is lifted from your eyes, so you begin to see your karma consciously, and you begin to work with it consciously. And then the ones that were protecting you, they can go away, because they don't need to protect you so much. You can begin to protect yourself. And so I have students in, in Australia that spend all their time protecting, always on the inner room, zapping, 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 and, um, because... I need the students that, that can work like this to protect or to help the new students. <laughs> you know, otherwise it's all left on me and I don't have 
endless amounts of time either. So you can understand so that the protections are taken away slowly and you learn how to protect yourself. You're given weapons and swords and teachings. Um, and this is all the, the secrets of initiation from the second onwards. And so the third initiation, um, what you think is you, you discover is not you. And what you really are, your soul, is what you are. And that's what you get merged into. So if you understand that you no longer think like what you are, you think like your soul is, and you can see the past, the present, and the future, the way the soul sees, and you're no longer concerned with your physical body except the way that it manifests as a vehicle of service for the soul. I call this the Alaya Vijnana Enlightenment in my book. And the next form of enlightenment is the Shunyata Enlightenment, which we talked about with the fourth, and then there's the Dharmakaya Enlightenment, which is the fifth. And then there's higher enlightenment. The Dharmakaya has got levels above that, which I won't go into. So you get an idea of this um, path of discipleship. It's one of, of you relinquishing your ties to everything that you thought was you, gradually, and opening yourself up again gradually, according to your spiritual age, because your true spiritual age comes to the surface. Those that are older, the older you are, the more is expected of you. You're, you're expected to run um, fast where the others are, can only walk. And you, you've got the capacity to, to, to understand the teachings better because you've done it many times. You know, the difference if you've gone to the same school um, and repeated the class five times, and or if it's the first time you're doing this. So if it's the fifth time you know, around you're doing the second initiation, well, it becomes easier, yes? There's, there's other things to, to do, and you're also a third degree and probably a fourth degree initiate. So the, the initiation, the passing of the initiation testing is, is a little bit easier. However, um, every new life, you've got to master the new conditions of that life. This is no longer Tibet, um, right? This is no longer what Europe was or India. This is, a, you know, this Western materialistic civilization, And this is hard uh, lifestyle, hard to pass, right? Um, because there's so much here clamoring our attention. Yes, yeah, so much around, uh, demanding that you do this, demanding that you do that, and they all they make it so you have to have so much money, and not that it's ever been not that way. But you see, you understand that this, this materialistic lifestyle is very difficult. And this is the next thing that the initiates, that are the group brothers and sisters, do for each other. They help each other. They help each other in every way. You know, like in Australia, we are a community. It's not that everyone lives together because we only have a small property, but there's other, you know, there's two other communities that are, that are linked with us, and so we form a bit of a triangle. And so what we are trying to manifest here also, that's why I'm here, why I've been sent, is to manifest a community in Europe. And then that takes, you know, resource sharing and, you know, all of that. It's all dedicated for hierarchy. It's all dedicated for the service work of hierarchy to bring the kingdom of God on this planet. If you, you spend too much on yourself, then that resource is being squandered. Because money, when you think about money, it's an energy, it's karma. Every bit of money you have, it's karma. 
it's um, it was quite amazing to me because my relatively little calm I have of this material world now, I'd find money, for instance, or I'd give money to a beggar in India, and then I'd find money, the same amount of money, because um, I didn't have the karma with the beggar, so I had to be giving the money back, uh, if you understand. Everything has to be balanced out in the higher initiations. In my case, uh, my karma is very, very finely attuned. You have more leeway with karma. You can make more karma and you've got more time to cleanse it. In my case, everything I do has to be, you know, I have to think about karma all the time. As a matter of fact, I've written a book on karma um, and the world's best book on karma on that because that's what I've come to teach the world, one of the main things, is what karma is. Everyone knows, they think they know what karma is, but they don't really understand it. It's a popular word. So the group sharing and the, the concept, the very heart of this, especially in this Western world, is the concept of money. You know, People are more likely to talk about their sexual exploits uh, than they are about how much money they've got and what they've got in their bank. You know, that's much more close the secret. But uh, you know, the, the, this type of life, um, you know, that's easier for them to talk about. Disciples in this age, and this is working towards the future, they really have to learn um, cooperative sharing. And of course, for people that have very little, it's hard because um, they've got to live, they've got to work, they've got to uh, make money. For people that are wealthy, uh, it's a different matter. They've got lots, but they don't share, <laughs> right? Um, because the you know the the whole mentality is me mine and uh, more than I can get for me the better. So you understand this world that we're in in this materialistic world where the dark brotherhood have won is this instilling selfishness in our society. And children are taught when they're young, you know, sort of comp- competition and selfishness. They should be taught cooperation and unselfishness, how to give to each other, loving kindness. Right? This is the opposite of what they teach children at schools. Yeah. They don't need to learn so much intelligent things, they need to learn these things. This is what parents are for. Right? So you can see the third initiation is the propagation of the teaching in a wise and skillful manner but not in a way that in any way your ego is going to <laughs> be stimulated. And at the same time, you're doing all this inner work because you're bringing down the kingdom of God. At the third initiation, you take this initiation at Shambhala, at the kingdom of God, and it's awakening of the head lotus. Mm. Right. And the second initiation is technically the, well, it's the awakening of the heart center. And the first initiation is the beginning of the, the throat the beginning of the mastery of all the, the chakras down below. So yogically you can look at the initiations also in terms of uh, the chakras that are being awakened and expanded. As you're working for your second and, and then going onwards, of course, then um, we awaken your, your vision so you can be overshadowed while you can begin to communicate with the masters of wisdom. They will start to, you know, the minor chakras are awakened and they'll talk to you, give you visions. And the meditations I give you, for instance, those visions and um, um, all the impressions, they're coming from hierarchy because you are initiate and you're being trained that way. Um, so I work with Kurt Hermi, Moya, and all the rest. From the second initiation onwards, or even, even before that, depending on the, your degree of initiate. 
if you're third or fourth or fifth degree initiate, then of course you're going to, from a very early age, you're basically, you know, especially if you're fourth or fifth degree, you're essentially an avatar, and you're you're getting impressions and you know images, and you're pushed to, you know, you don't know what's happening to you um, because. It's something inside you is, you know, images and, you know, you know, all of this sort of stuff is coming. And of course, often, you know, the, the parents don't know, you know, <laughs> what on earth is happening to you and they think you're strange or weird and you might be disciplined <coughs> because you're seeing fairies. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, this is the, the higher initiation, uh, the initiate. So they, they, they have this voice within them speaking them and they become rebellious and, uh, Often disciplined uh, because they're not listening and they they've got their own you know very strong willed um, their own ideas and uh, they you know oh, it's like me you know I didn't want to know about eating meat and mm. uh, you know my parents were my German you know it's a it's, it's like here you know European <laughs> the society it's uh, uh, yeah battle after battle fight after fight so as soon as I could I became vegetarian. I didn't know anything about being a vegetarian and nobody was around to teach me a thing. But, you know, I knew that I didn't want to eat meat. And, of course, my father was a butcher. He was at the abattoir. Okay, so you, you get an idea, therefore, of, of this path. Um, sacrifice, but sacrifice <coughs> sanctifies. It makes you divine. And it depends on your spiritual age, how much you're pushed, how quickly you go, and the master... Um, knows your spiritual age and gives you the teachings according to your capacity, not what you want, but what you need is given to you. And also, um, your karma is looked at because, of course, if you've got what I call obscuring karma, that also has to be worked through. And, you know, we have to take into account, well, the karma is the karma and there's... Uh, the, the person has to gain some wisdom as to know when that karma is finished and the master will push anyway inwardly at the appropriate time. Finish the karma, it's finished, move on quickly. There's nothing more to do than to this this materialism, this material lifestyle is, is not what we're here for. We're here to develop group love, um, group wisdom, group service and gain the initiation and ascend to the kingdom of God as you do so. Because as you sacrifice yourself, the kingdom of God sends. And you go up, it goes down. And you meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, and that's the beauty of this path. You're inspired from within as you cleanse yourself from without. And it's the, it's the joy. You know, you, you may be sacrificial, but you know, your happiness, this happiness, pain, suffering, happiness, you know, that, that cycle... It goes and what's inside is joy. And our sister here, she knows all about this joy, don't you? Always internal joy. There's nothing that's going to harm you anymore because um, you know that it doesn't matter what happens to your body because you're going to die. Uh, it's just a matter of when. And you might as well die having done all the good things in life. Uh, <laughs> I was like this when I was 18, 17. So that's... So you understand that this um, transformation, this inner understanding is that, and also you know that your karma has been woven so that your service work will be accomplished. We don't have resources, as a group we don't have much resources, but we are already working together, we're already thinking together to, towards where we're going to in the future.
so you get an idea therefore this this path and it's worked out according as I said to your true spiritual age what you accomplished in the past life um, and that is what's given to you and so those that are younger spiritually travel slower and they expected to to learn slower and uh, they they're given their, their their rightful dues and um, and those that are older spiritually they expected you know do a little bit more because to <laughs> to, to run um, and um, and gain and the other thing therefore you understand in our particular path when as I said all your dirty linen what is, is shown is not just that it's more your spiritual age your ray lines your, your language changes and it's not a matter of competitiveness or pride or whatever if somebody's intrinsically a fourth degree initiate they're just expected to do more and then, then somebody's a third degree we just make the allowance for that third degree have more responsibility. yes yeah more responsibility but inwardly they far more a fourth degree initiative you know for you at this stage you think of a third degree initiative as very high because of course all of dk's writings he's writing to make people third degree initiates but I think in terms of fourth degree initiates and, and their relationship to third degree or fifth degree even. So um, with a fourth degree, they are driven inwardly to achieve. They're, they're, there's a burning, desire. they know that they have to do this. They, 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 they can't, the, the words are not there necessarily. It's just simply that's what must be done and they do that. Um, whereas the third degree initiate will go through all sorts of agonies of mind um, mm. about whether to do that or not. So you understand the difference. Whereas the second one that's working quite a second degree, it's it's just a lot of uh, emotional turmoils and and it's good. They they they're given they're given the the, the you know the, the teachings are just spread out slowly. So it's um, it's not just that you're doing working on one. You're working on it's uh, a, 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 you're working on a layered structure because everyone has got their good points and their bad points. Where somebody is weak. Somebody else is strong. And so a group such as this as is the Sangha, the, the person that's weakened something in some way will be helped by the person that's strong in that area. And the person and then the person that was weak will find that they have a strength that that person that was weak that's strong is weakened. And so you see and this is what I mean by the dirty linen, you see the problems in the other person, they reveal it to you, or they reveal it to the group, and then the group who is the person who's strong um, helps out, and sometimes the person that's weak may take years, or hopefully not. But um, sometimes it takes a long time. It's important that I actually understand karma of the individual, not immediately. The karma, the ray line, very important in the spiritual age. It is the first three things that I normally am looking at. The spiritual age is very important for me. It's not so much important for you. Um, but for me, I have to know that because I have to be able to teach you what you need at the time and not to expect too much of you if you're incapable of doing that because this is love. You have to give the right gift at the right time for the right purpose um, to produce the right result and you have to be able to see what that result is um, before you give the gift. Um, that's what love is, yes? And that's the, the wisdom that each of you are trying to achieve. So you can understand your inner vision develops, your inner hearing develops, your understanding the soul, the masters start to sort of um, work with you and as you build an aura 
um, and believe me, your, your aura, we were going into the aura before earlier, and you, you know how the way it normally is, it's quite dull, and, but later on your aura has become radiant. But as soon as your aura starts to become radiant, there's some beings out there on the dark side, the, the forces of evil, they notice that. And uh, they begin to recognize you as a potential threat to whatever they've got planned on this planet, and then they start attacking. And until you build that aura, they're not interested in you. Um, because you're one of them. In their mind, you're just part of, I used the matrix, um, um, some sorry, just part of the, the average humanity. They, they, they've got you, they own you, they control you, they, they, they manipulate your minds at a whim like that. It's only when you start to get yourself out of that, that way of thinking, that they see you and then they, uh, they have to start to do battle with you because you're not anymore listening to them. <laughs> You're not anymore taking on their energies. You're resisting. <laughs> and they don't like people... <laughs> yes, yes, they don't like beings that resist them, you understand. And then you actually have to have the weapons. And this is about the second initiation stage. Yeah. As you're preparing for the second, near the end, of, you, know, you start to have to do all this work to do at the end of the realms. And so this is um, what you might call yoga, right? The, the proper yoga. The other thing I'll just point out is that the chakras, they get awakened normally, automatically, as you do the service work. You don't have to concentrate on the chakras. I don't tell you to meditate upon the heart, though later on you'll be doing a lot of protection of your heart because that's going to be attacked and attacked and attacked. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't tell you to meditate on the heart or to meditate on the head, though later on you may be given special visualisations. The, the chakras awaken automatically because the pranas that are going through you, you understand the word prana now, um, these energies are going through you, as you're working upon yourself, they've been cleansed. And they're cleansing the little chakra here, and they're cleansing the little chakra there, and so you're cleaning the chakras as you go. And as they cleanse, they are awakening. Um, later on, also, and this is one of the, the good parts of this work, you'll understand the diva kingdom, the angelic kingdom. And believe me, when you begin to work with them, then it's they're so so wonderful. Our group, for instance, when we left um, India, we we actually one great angel that was responsible for the yogic dispensation of the Himalayas went to Australia. Is now anchored over us, and you know he was huge. You know that time was you know, in the, you know huge Himalayan diva um, there because the Himalaya the, that that whole Yoga dispensation is disappearing there and is incarnating into the West, so they have to come to where the yogis are because we work with the divas. And so the divas and, and humans, the brotherhood of angels and men, um, you begin to understand how to work with them. And then one of the lovely things is that you begin to understand, and this is uh, that the divas incarnate in your body, and every cell in your body is but a little diva. When you're working with chakras, sometimes, for instance, if the splenic center is sending out a lot of rubbish, great, terrible pranas, um, there's a little diva that stands very valiantly with a sword. <laughs> And she's so cute, and you have to clean her up <laughs> because she's trying to protect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're so beautiful anyway, and they're so dedicated. So later on, you can talk to them. They're units of mind. Yeah. Um, so this is this is our world, and um, and this is. Pardon? I love it. <laughs>
and this is what happens when you become loving <laughs> when you learn to let go of your fears let go of all these things that you're attached to in your material world and start to give um, within the laws of group evolution and of course you've got to read um, you know, you've got the books in Dutch and, uh, you know, my books. and um, So it's not just a matter of me telling you week after week after week you actually got to do something um, because there's a lot of reading to be done, uh, a mountain of reading. Um, and then one of the problems my students have in Australia is they don't have the time they got to do. And so what happens with group service work, you, you want to do this, but you've got to do this, 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 and this, and this. And this. There's, there's too much to do and very few hands that do it. The very few people put up their hands and say, I want to serve hierarchy. <laughs> there's plenty out there in the Bailey world, but they're really more interested in serving themselves.